So this morning as we read Matthew 15, I want you to now kind of pay a more nuanced attention to the words in the text and the things that Jesus is trying to tear apart in Matthew 15 is this idea of character and image being tied together. And Jesus actually wants to separate the two and say, no, these things are separate. And as I read Matthew 15, I'm going to interject some things. Um, so I'll let you know when we're, we're actually done reading it. Matthew 15, starting in verse 10. And 15, of course, is the same text we get uh, the feeding, the, the fish and the loaves story. There's another story about feeding and being at the table. Uh, there's a lot about food. And this kind of, this is one of the stories that leads up to that big loaves and fishes miracle and uh, gives it its, its nuance. So starting in verse 10, then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard you say that? Jesus answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind guide guides another, both fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. I'm going to interject. So again, we have Peter. Peter and Matthew is very characteristically not understanding what Jesus is saying or doing and often ask for clarification. And as a reader, we're kind of supposed to be in that frame of mind as Peter because we always don't quite get what Jesus is saying and we need him to explain it more. And Peter helps us out by getting that deeper explanation. So then Jesus says, are you still also without understanding Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? And again, the the literal reading in the Greek of this, you would say something like, what goes into the mouth, into the bowels, and its contents are evacuated into the latrine, which is really gross. It's very graphic. Instead, so what Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Or in the literal Greek, it reverses it. So what goes out of the mouth, so too from the heart. And Jesus says, this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the word of the God for people of God. Thanks be to God. So why are the Pharisees so upset? And why do they get it immediately, even when Peter doesn't quite understand? There's two levels to what's going on to the Pharisees' offense And I think if we think hard enough about it, both of them hit us as well. The first idea that the Pharisees have, specifically, is this idea generally of 
something we might equate to computer programming, where you're writing code and there's this phrase, garbage in, garbage out. If you put bad code into a program, the program itself is going to have a bad result. And of course, the inverse, quality in, quality out. So the Pharisees focus on their rituals of hand washing and proper kosher laws that they believe are literally tied to what they put in their mouth and how they do it. And that then is what continues their holiness, purity, or even faithfulness. If you yourself show a spiritual discipline about what enters your body, you can expect positive results is the idea. And so the majority of these practices are around uh, kosher laws and cleanliness. But why do, they, why do they do this? Where does this come from? It actually kind of ties back to the core belief about creation itself and that God's universe is orderly. If we think back to Genesis 1, you've got the image of God hovering over the primordial waters, and then God creates order out of this chaos, the seven days of creation, and even sets up the very first ritual, resting on the seventh day. That's where you get the Sabbath observance. Now, the only way to maintain God's created order is to follow the rules and laws God sets out. So in order to keep chaos out, the order has to be maintained. The image that gets used a lot in the Bible is of uh, hedges. So you have a series of hedges around your property, and you keep out all the things that represent evil, chaos, what have you, from getting in so that you maintain the safety and home nature of your home. And so it's confusing to the Pharisees why Jesus would be messing with this, with this order. Of why does, what do you mean it doesn't matter what you eat? What do you mean it doesn't matter if you don't wash your hands? And that one I think is a little bit probably more distant from us. We don't typically observe uh, kosher laws, but we are familiar with the idea of creating a sort of stability and order to keep the chaos out. The second one is that of image. Again, this tying together image of self and one's character. And image is, is complicated. It's a complicated thing to talk about because image, we talk about it in terms of the image of God or us being made in God's image. But in Matthew, image takes a little bit of a different focus. See, Matthew turns against the images that we create for ourselves. Particularly like in Matthew 23, Jesus speaks of the Pharisees and scribes. He says, they make their phylacteries broad and fringes long and, have having, and they want to have the best seats of honor and being insisted on being called rabbi. Now, phylacteries were the things that they wrap around your arm and it has a little box and it wraps around your head and it has a box. And in those boxes are, are prayers or scripture passages. And it's a, help, it's a ritual practice of, of morning prayer to keep you focused on God. Of course, what the Pharisees did was more or less make a spectacle of it. You know, they had very broad phylacteries that stood out as if the importance of it was not the ritual observance of God, but just ritually looking good in the religious sense. 
And of course, the fringe is long, play into that with their shawl to make it look worn and used. Being insisted on having the best seats of honor to be part of the, the social ladder, and in fact, be at near the top of the social ladder, as if that would maintain their holiness. And of being called rabbi, to take up that mantle of, of title, as if not to focus on the duty of it, but just the respect that it garners. Now, to God, this, this idea of religious image or promoting of oneself does have a value. As Jesus explains in Matthew 15, the value of it is about as much as what comes out of you and goes into the sewer. And this idea of, of Kenya, or I'm sorry, of, uh, of image, played out in two ways uh, in Kenya this summer. Uh, with a, a lot of our youth who are, are here today up in the balcony, they got to go. And we got to participate with a, a feeding program at a rural uh, primary school out in Kenya, up in the, in the hill country. Uh, it was a long drive, but definitely worth it. The woman who is in charge, Purity, who's our, actually our host for our, our, uh, our mission group, she started this program after witnessing children in this school would often during lunchtime sit by themselves or go off by a tree and sit alone. And they were doing that because they were hungry. They had nothing to eat. In fact, they had nothing to eat for the entirety of the day. So she started a program that during lunchtime, these children would be given hefty, well-balanced meals and that would help them just as if it was their only meal of the day, and for many that was the case. As a result of that, the feeding program became kind of the envy of the school. It became a very kind of social spot. Uh, a lot of kids were participating. It was almost kind of cool to be part of the feeding program, which is special to see. And of course, we got to witness the, the work involved with all of that, just what it took to feed a large group of children every single day, every single school day, close to 100 kids. It's a lot of time, money, committed work, storage space, multifaceted. And the image that we got when we got there, we came in to the primary school for the first time, and it looked like kind of you, the image you think about of a rural East African school, primary school, we had uh, concrete buildings with concrete floors, no electricity, just open windows, large blackboard in the front of the classroom, wooden desk, one, pe one pencil and one notebook seemingly for one student per year. All of the students dressed in uniform, matching uniform, many of which were tattered or dirty or patched together. Uh, nonetheless, they did all have that uniform. And they were very curious and excited to see us, a group of Americans with very different skin, hair, and accents. They all wanted to, to touch us, give us high fives. They, wanted, they tried to get us to say things to then laugh at our accents because they spoke English, but of course a different, very different accent from what they were used to. And it was a very special moment between our group and theirs getting to connect in that way. In that, though, what we did see was the image of children who we knew, most of whom did not have enough food 
and needed extra support from outside groups to get enough food to just make it through one more day. Clothes that were not clean, perhaps just barely hanging on together, literally by a thread. They had scrapes and bruises and no band-aids or bandages to, to speak of uh, for, for minor things. But we also saw something else. Despite having not very much, or in our comparison, practically nothing at all, we saw excitement, joy, happiness, contentment. And if you talk to them, they have a hope and longing for the future. And it serves quite as a, a counter to the images that we create for ourselves, being clean, well-dressed, well-maintained, traveling up the social ladder. Our very group that went to Kenya was able to have the monetary resources to travel about halfway across the globe just to visit and see them. If we thought about it, if we really thought, what kind of image are we putting out there and how does it relate to our character? I don't know if it does. We might be guilty of the same things the Pharisees are. Despite having the accomplishments, the good clothes, the, cl the cleanliness, the resources, one would expect kind of the quality in, quality out. We then would ex be experiencing contentment, fulfillment, and happiness. But of course, if we examine our life, often we have feelings of wanting more, wanting more material. We get feelings of entitlement. We get feelings of discontentment. We get feelings that maybe we just need to go back in time to where we had more time and things weren't so complicated. We complain about the inconveniences we face when really our problems aren't that great. And a time was something that we probably bumped up against most, being in, in Kenya. They have a very different view of time. Time for us is very ordered, structured. We project out. We think about what's going on next. What are the steps to get there? We have to maintain a, maintain a sense of particular time in order to be successful in whatever we're trying to do. And that will then lead us to do better work and be more prosperous, and in the end, fulfilled and happy. Of course, Kenyan time was just about the opposite. Being 100% present in the very moment, without regard to what's going on in 10 minutes or an hour, 100% present as if tomorrow were not even promised at all, and you had to trust God to bring you into tomorrow. And that leads us to kind of a conversation about, well, what, what really matters then in the end? What then leads us to a path that God wants us to follow? And we can again turn to the Gospel of Matthew. What matters to God in the end in Matthew? Matthew 25, we had a, a sermon from Danny not too long ago about it. In Matthew 25, God separates the sheep and the goats, not based on image, or their achievements, 
or their adherence to a controlled diet, or even adherence to any kind of religious ritual whatsoever. No, there's only one measure. It's of character and values expressed in what you did. Did you clothe the naked? Did you feed the hungry? Did you visit those in prison? Etc., etc. What actions did you take? What words did you say? And of course, why do these actions matter? Let's turn back to chapter 15. Because our actions, the words we use, that's what's rooted in our hearts. Our character, our values, our beliefs, those are only evident from our fruits, word and deed. Matthew spells this out again and again throughout the gospel. This is how to be a disciple, and this is how to turn others into disciples. If we spend our time growing up larger hedges, to turn back to the metaphor of our own, we end up neglecting the very home the hedges protect. Furthermore, you become to think that the hedges are there on your own accord, which is also not true. God put the hedges there, not you. Those plants that you plant yourself, Jesus says that those plants are going to be uprooted because God didn't put them there. If we lose focus, if we start to look at the wrong things and spend time in the wrong places, we become blind to what truly matters. And like Jesus says, we are blind and will fall into a pit. And not only that, but the people that rely on us most, we will lead them into that same pit. So in this season of revival in the life of the church, we look at service. Service being the very thing that we face in the end with God in judgment. The message in Matthew 15, tend to what God has planted. Lead others with open and seeing eyes. Speak with words and actions that reflect the heart of Christ. In this season, we examine our choices. What do our choices say about what's in our hearts? Do we have those hearts of service? And if after taking an honest account, we say, no, this week I didn't reflect a heart of service, you have to make decisions. What do you cut out? What do you keep? How do you intentionally think about how you speak to one another? What are your fruits? What exits your tongue in the end is who you are. What your actions communicate is how your heart speaks. So what in your life is God calling you to flush out? And what will the words from your tongue bear the fruits of your heart? Amen.